Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the latest developments of downtown open-air drug markets, heat mapping the east side, and the city's decision to stop funding the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Joining me for this week's News Roundup are Willamette Week's Dive podcast host and Potlander column author, Brianna Wheeler, and our very own lead producer, John Natariani. It's Friday, July 28th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. John, Brianna, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. Hey. You guys, I have a question for you. <laughs> oh, no. Hit us. As, as it happens, uh, every Friday, we start off the news headline roundup of the week with a little question. It's a, it's a kiss, marry, kill style, but I decided to make it more Portland. So it's a kiss, marry, kill thruple. <laughs> Does this mean we have to kiss all three of them or marry all three of them? No. So you, you it's just like same rules of kiss, marry, kill. Oh, okay. The thruple part threw me but off. But the thruple like means that you're just like, could also marry or could be part of my thruple. So you have to choose wisely because they have to balance each other out. John, it's a whole thing. This isn't easy. Are they going to get along? Is it going to be? I'm awaiting further instruction. Yeah. <laughs> kiss, marry, kill, thruple. Florida Room, The By and By, Vendetta, Beulah Land. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I need to write this down. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, Florida Room. Oh, my God. This is hilarious. I'm going to go ahead and give you mine. So I would kiss Vendetta. Love that patio. I would marry The By and By mm-hmm. because legit, really good food. And- that will sustain me. I would kill Beulah Land. I'm sorry. I think I just aged out. <laughs> <laughs> but I would thruple with Florida Room. And do you see the rock and roll there? Buy and buy food, Florida Room vibe, thruple. Love it. Does that make sense? John, you look so confused. Oh my God, is this, <laughs> is this giving you anxiety or just, are you monogamous, John? I, I just, I think I have the wrong, what was the list of bars again? <laughs> Florida Room, The yeah. By and By, Vendetta, yeah. Beulah Land. Okay, got it. Um, I think I would kiss Vendetta. Fun spot, not where I want to spend my whole life, but you know, yeah, good spot. Kill Beulah Land as well. I never really like got into the Beulah Land routine. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've always lived on the other side of town. Um, just not somewhere I'd spend a lot of time. No hard feelings. Um, I would marry the by and by because I feel like that's the best all arounder, you know, mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. like, it's got the most decent food. You can actually trust them to like pour you a glass of wine if that's the mood that you're in. Mm-hmm. Never done that. 
Yeah, they yeah. got like, you know, they got some decent wine. Wine uh, at the buy and buy. Okay, that's a first. It, I don't it's, know. It's, it's, it's of the four. You <laughs> heard the it here. I would trust to <laughs> pour me a glass of wine. Uh, and uh, yeah, thruple with Florida room because, you know, sometimes you sometimes you want to get a little bit more wild, a little bit a little bit looser, but I think they'd get along. I think that I like think they, they would, would get along. You know, they would they would balance each other out and they would, you know, they would they all like to have a good time, but you know, their the, their personalities are are sort of yin and yang as well. And there's they both have vegan options, you know. So yeah, yeah, there you go. There, there you go. Yeah, uh, that was exactly mine, John. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now that I understand the game. <laughs> okay, Rihanna. Okay, so kiss, Mary, kill, thruple. I'm gonna kiss Beulah Land. She's kind of like off limits for me too. That's like the other side of town. That whole neighborhood is very young and everyone's having fun i feel like i would be cheating on everything i know to go there so i'm gonna kiss beulah land i'll probably marry i'll probably marry the by and by gosh i'm gonna oh, i don't know if this is controversial but i think i'm gonna kill vendetta i i have had much love for that bar and i've spent many 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 uh blackout night there but there's one thing i did there that i'm so incredibly embarrassed of Right after I had my son, I had like the biggest milk boobs ever, like clown boobs. They were insane. And I thought it would be like a really fun, funny thing to like shoot milk out of my boob into other people's beers. And I wasn't doing it to like random people. It was people at our table, you know, like it was a fun party trick. Look at Brianna doing this thing. Um, but looking back the next day, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> That was mortifying. I can't believe I did that. I'm sorry. She's got to fucking die now. Sorry. Um, so Vendetta, dead. Sorry. Yeah. The secret goes down with Vendetta and all of the yeah. listeners of CityCast Portland. You're welcome. Imagine it. Imagine yeah. it. Get that visual going. You oh can imagine what a fun night that was and maybe why also that she has to die. And then I yeah. guess I'm having a thruple with the Florida room. That's kind of like been my dive bar since I moved to Portland. So, yeah, it makes sense that um, we would throw up, would throw up pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pretty I much like every, pretty much ours as well, except to the exception of you would kill Vendetta, and Sorry. you would kiss, and you would kiss Beulah Land. Okay. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you. I learned so much about each of you. Um, <laughs> Brianna, you are the wildest wild card that's ever wilded. John. Uh. A thruple gives you massive anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I love it all. Well, thank you, guys. <laughs> um, Brianna, do you want to uh, start us off? You're our guest. What's your headline of the week? Thank you. So um, I'm talking about Lucas Manfield's cover story for Willamette Week today. So if you've been following along with Lucas's coverage, he's on, like, his beat is... Um, Cops, Courts, and Crime, I believe. And um, so he's been covering not just the fentanyl crisis, um, but kind of the landscape of drug use post-Measure 110. Um, so this cover story is kind of like months of reporting, kind of coalescing. Um, and we're kind of following this map that he's describing over you know, the months of reporting he's kind of picked up, where the, this open-air drug trade moves from Chinatown uh, to Dante's parking lot, which right under the Keep Portland Weird sign, I mean, oh my God. Um, and then to the mostly abandoned Washington Center, which was very huge news. 
Um, so now that the Washington Center uh, is all boarded up, that market has moved to the intersection of Sixth and Harvey Milk. So, you, you know, reading this article, we're kind of following along with, you know, everywhere this open air market has moved to. And then there's this kind of like speaking truth to power moment in the piece when Lucas reports that Portland Police Bureau has um, bike patrols that kind of keep these notorious areas more or less chill uh, during daytime hours. But that crew clocks out at like six and then it's just game on and it's crews of ski masked Fent dealers. Um, so obviously fentanyl crisis is everywhere. It's in large cities. It's in small cities. It's, it's literally all across our nation, but Oregon has the highest rate of drug use disorder in the country and the fastest growing fatal overdose rate, overdose rate among teenagers. Um, and, you can kind of draw a line between. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that weird? counterfeit yeah, pills are getting sold on Instagram and Snapchat? What? And they'll be sold as ecstasy. They'll be sold as X Y Z, um, but they're just like a pill that's cut with fent. So I've actually lost acquaintances because of a part. They thought they were taking a party drug. Oh, I'm so sorry. And they mm -hmm. they overdosed on fent. I it's just woof crazy. So Lucas went through, actually went through the motions and like purchased some. Well, fentanyl. Yes. Uh, and he purchased it from a kid that he said, like, barely looked old enough to drive. And one of the interviews he did um, with someone, you know, familiar with investigating drug trafficking operations in Portland, he thinks that these kids are just, you know, potentially part of trafficking operations themselves. Um, and they're just being exploited by higher ups who know that there's little consequence if kids are caught. Um, yeah. Child soldiers, basically. Right. And it, Portland, Portland's been like an opioid hotspot. In the 70s, heroin was huge. It was all over the streets. Um, and I just, for outsiders looking in, it's, it, it's really easy to look at Portland and say, well, they legalized hard drugs. Like, what did they expect was going to happen? And I, I just want to make sure that when those conversations happen, um, I think we need to make it really clear that we didn't just vote to decriminalize drug use. We voted to make treatment uh, options as accessible as hard drugs, which are very easy to get a hold of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We voted to create more space and programs for recovery. And that did not happen. Everything happened backwards. Um, and OHSU researchers reported last year that Oregon has half of the drug treatment beds that it needs. And the state lost nearly 150 treatment beds during the pandemic. And before that, in 2020, Portland lost its only sobering center where cops would have taken intoxicated people rather than just arresting them. So it's been years of failure, despite so much discussion um, to address that issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gosh, I mean, I feel like we've talked a lot about fentanyl and the drug crisis and opioids on this show. And this article just pulled so many threads together and there were so many details that just really crystallized things in my mind. Like he has this one passage where he talks about this group of Honduran drug dealers mm -hmm. uh, distributing fentanyl produced with Chinese chemicals uh, operated by Mexican drug cartels and mm -hmm. shipped up the I-5 corridor. It's just like, oh, yeah. I mean, this is a problem in our community, but it's like also there's a global organization behind it that is making it happen. Um 
it, it, I mean, that's just one of, you know, a dozen little details that I could pick out that I was just like, oh my, oh yeah. no. Yeah. It's like we're throwing pebbles at the biggest shield possible. Like it, it's very David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. I read the whole thing twice and I just, t- I just, I'm just like, I don't, uh, it just seems <laughs> like you just said, insurmountable. And I trying to figure out because there's a lot of like, what what are the what is the police doing? I wonder if it's the same. Trying to figure out the sting. I know they're. I know that there was talk. I know they can't really say much. I mean, I know you just shook your head, but you know they can't really say much to the press about what they're doing because yeah. if it's a, if it's a sting, like they can't be like, well, yeah, see, we're gonna do a sting at three p.m. You know, yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> I'm undercover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't worry, we're gonna get them. Um, so I, I'm just. It, it, just that, just not knowing is like scary as well. But um, I'm hoping that's what's happening, that they're gathering information because I know they they have taken some of these, you know, uh, younger dealers in for questioning. Because And if they're coming in for questioning, obviously, they're trying to get gather information um, as yeah. to what's going on. One thing I did want to point out, though, like when you were talking about Measure 110 a little while ago and like just – there are some charts in this article that really visualize the exponential growth of this problem, you know, um, of like fentanyl seized almost nothing in 2019, 500,000 units in 2021. That's when measure 110 was passed up to like 1.5 million units in 2022. That's like a three year period, you know, yeah. and like the rise in overdose deaths is the same. And and I feel like there is a little bit of a chicken and the egg question yeah. regarding measure 110. Like, are we having more problems with drugs because they've been decriminalized or, but like what this article kind of suggested to me is like, actually, maybe it was just really bad timing. Maybe yeah, yeah. this crisis was brewing and we would have been, almost exactly where we are now, whether Measure 110 had happened or not. Yeah, John, I totally agree with you. I feel like this is the same uh, data curve that we saw with petty crime and Mm -hmm. the decriminalization of certain lower level offenses. And it's just like, what, what came first? Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, it seems like a lot of like uh, effort and resources are being pointed at uh, the crisis of drug use on the streets. And not a lot of resources are being pointed at the root causes of that crisis, houselessness, uh, options for recovery. Um, I mean, we've been de- we have been dealing with an opioid crisis for years before it became a fentanyl crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it can be very... I know that there's not room for hope, but there are a lot of people that are working on it, <laughs> that are really trying. Yeah. Um, and potentially trying to address those root causes rather than just like trying to stymie blood flow from a gash, you know? Yeah. Well, well, thank you for that, uh, Brianna. John, what's your headline of the week? Um, yeah, mine might have a little bit of hope. I got really interested in this project that is going on to map heat islands around the metropolitan area. Um, there's this project that's being launched to really figure out how the differentials in the way that different communities heat up. Uh, About 100 volunteers went around the Tri-County area last weekend collecting heat and humidity data. And, you know, they were like driving with a a big thermometer sticking out of their car (laughs) and and measuring second by second how the heat was changing as they move through different environments. Because we know that there are these parts of the city and of the region 
that get way, way hotter when we have a heat wave. Because, question, question, John. Yeah, yeah. Who usually lives in these areas? I'm just curious. Oh, well, let, let me see. Uh, yeah, that is populated by uh, uh? people of color and oh. people who are poor. Oh, that's shocking. Yes, ah, on any given day. Great. It can be okay, 18 degrees wondered. hotter on the east yeah. side than on the west side. So this is wow. like a like very, very clear like line in the sand right. uh, sort of equity issue. I mean, and the reason is because of the built environment, right? Those communities are the places that are a lot more concrete, a lot more strip malls, a lot more, you know, a lot less sort of manicured parks and tree-lined streets. Mm -hmm. So like all that built environment just leads to them heating way more up. And of course, these are the communities that are going to be less likely to have central air conditioning. These are going to be the communities that are less likely to have ability to mitigate extreme heat too. So the hope is that we sort of understand this better and then can put changes in place in our region to help protect the most vulnerable people. What happens once they map these heat islands as they start issuing air conditioners to everybody or they start planting trees? Um, there, there have been efforts to do more planting of trees in these neighborhoods in the past. Um, I know Friends of Trees was leading that effort, and womp womp, the city canceled their contract with Friends what? of Trees. What? I'm sorry. Yeah, this what? was like a little while ago. Um, I didn't this hear was, this. Yeah. John, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, this happened a year ago. Uh, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I swear to God, John, I swear to God. Oh, I've been able, like, I was, uh, you know... It, Friends of trees are always like, hey, do you want a free tree? You know, they're always like trying to push those trees. Um, I I was able to, I I feel like if I wanted to get an oak three months ago, I could have. So are they just being funded somewhere else? Is that what's well, happening? Well, I, I think it's similar to what we're going to talk about with Rack in the next segment. I think that the city had had this out external contract and they brought the operations inside of the city. So it's not like the city's just like, eh, we're done with trees. Um, but I don't know what that means for the program that Friends of Trees had been in part, had been in charge of which involved, like, I just don't know. But on the other end, Rihanna, you asked about air conditioning, and there is this new program that just got started by the State Department of Energy that is specifically geared towards landlords to give them rebates on installing heat pumps. So, you know, it can be up to like $5,000 that a landlord can get back if they install a heat pump, which also has air conditioning capabilities, into a rental property. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time, I mean, this program is just getting kicked off. Um, it's, you know, but up to, up to this point, landlords really haven't had any incentive to install yeah. air conditioning. It's just sort of of their own goodwill. And there yeah. finally is a program that is trying to, it's not going to be completely free, but it's going to subsidize that. In a City funded? Way. Uh, state funded. State Department oh, state of funded. Energy. Thank you. Yeah. The Sorry. Oregon Rental Home Heat Pump Program. We'll put some info in the show notes. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Any landlords out there that want to do that? Yeah. Maybe you should. Well, John, was there anything like particularly surprising to you that reading this article that you just didn't know about? Not, not really. I mean, this is something I've been pretty interested in. So I've sort of been watching yeah. this incrementally. But I mean, if people are interested in it, in response to the heat dome in 2021, the city did create a heat vulnerability index. Uh, which was this that which was the first attempt to sort of map some of this, and that is uh, online. You can go and check it out and sort of see which neighborhoods are the most vulnerable. And I think that this data collection effort right now is going to feed into that effort. But you can sort of check out the initial map, uh, the heat vulnerability index. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, more headlines of the week.
Well, guys, my headline is actually from last week, but since it kind of went under, uh, well, my personal radar, I wanted to bring it up for discussion this week. Uh, it's, it comes from Sophie Peel of the Willamette Week. You guys might have heard of her and that publication, uh, Brianna. <laughs> she mm -hmm. reported, <laughs> John says no, never I, heard. No, I was just going to say something like, fine crew of people. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie is, is also a frequent contributor. Um, so she reported that the city of Portland will stop funding the Regional Arts and Culture Council, or RAC, uh, next summer. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with RAC, they're essentially the contracted art bureau for the city. So right now, City Hall doesn't have like an arts wing. So all the money, the arts tax fund, stuff like that, um, RAC actually manages that. So they manage public art programs and disperse money to like local groups that provide arts education. They even give out grants to local artists. That's a lot of local artists. That's how they know RAC. But, but they've been doing this since 1995. So it's not like a recent contract. This is like how the city of Portland has been. The infrastructure of the, of the city of Portland has uh, sort of shaken out since 1995. Um, and it's a symbiotic relationship. But the city is dead set on creating its own office of arts and culture by the summer of 2024. Uh, that's a year from now. So they want to internalize the functions of RAC. And though it was a sudden decision, especially for those at RAC, because they're stating, like, we didn't get a heads up. Oh. So I reached out to them, and they know, they were just like, we don't, we know as much as you guys. We, we know very little of what's going on. And their public statement pretty much says as much. Like, no one from the city told them it was coming. Though, if you've been following any of our city arts uh, admin drama. I'm sure everyone has. Uh, I do. The writing has been on the wall for a handful of years. Uh, was it ever discussed that the city would just absorb RAC? Like, why wouldn't they just bring them into the governmental fold? So RAC is still being funded by the metro and all the counties under them. But the mm -hmm. majority of their funding, like a bit over 80%, comes directly from the city of Portland. So if they stop funding RAC, Oof. which is what they're going to do, who knows where the funding to keep up the organization will come from? Now, I'm assuming there's been scrutiny from the city uh, now from RAC has been, you know, basically the city has been like, RAC, what are you doing with all the money we're giving you? And, and RAC has, keeps coming with their budget and being like, this is what we're doing. And so the, since 2018, there's been like an audit on RAC. And the audit uh, kind of... It, it evolved to rack laying off 15 of its employees in 2020 because they, at that point, pulled some money. They're just like, no, you can't. You're, we're giving you too much money. You're not telling us where it's going. Less money. And they're just like, well, that's 15 employees. Okay, gone. Um, and then back in 2022, this is, I think, like what started what we have now. Uh, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty and current Commissioner Mingus Maps basically put rack on blast. And... Commissioner Hardesty said at the time, and this is a quote, this is the fourth time I've had a report that's told me absolutely nothing about how we're investing dollars and whether equity that we all talk about so much is, that, is really being centered. I find it disappointing that we continue to ask questions about how public dollars are being spent. And I get the impression that basically we should mind our own business because it's a ballot measure that actually funds it. And she's talking, of course, about the arts tax and other, because, you know, RAC gets funded by a few buckets. So the city basically was like, yeah, we're going to be doing our own arts admin. Thank you. But I don't know, you guys, do you think the city can handle that in less I than mean, a year? Yeah, yeah, I do. Honestly, I'm, I'm not super mad at this. 
Um, because again, the funding is not disappearing. The arts tax is not disappearing. Um, and if there's a question of like whether an outside organization or the city is better able to administer something, like I actually kind of feel like that's a wash. Um, you know, and the city does have its own arts program that is being re rebuilt and it's being managed by a guy who was an administrator at RAC for 20 years. So that institutional knowledge is still there. Um, I'm sort of of the mind that if there is like a contracted organization that like isn't able to explain how it is running its organization, which, you know, from the exchanges with Commissioner Hardesty and Commissioner Maps, sounds like there was some real doubt there, then... Yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with, like, that administrative shift happening. What about you, Brianna? Well, my debut memoir, Altogether Different, is being released by Corza Books in October of this year. And we applied for a grant from RACC to help with our marketing um, uh, capabilities. And we got denied. <gasps> so they can burn. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, no, that stays. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, uh, we love a petty queen. Go on, Brianna. Uh, so I, my concern when I'm uh, getting into this story is that um, I don't know that I trust the city to spend money smart. They have a lot of it, and they do not seem to be spending it in uh, the best ways. For instance, the first story that we talked about. Yeah. Um, also... Uh, my son is in the special education program in Portland Public Schools and talk about some underfunded shit like it's yeah they're going through it like people that are that rely on the city and the state for funding are going through it so to put like arts and like an arts and culture bureau in there mm -hmm. I mean are we I don't know led by Dan Ryan oh god don't I mean of course <laughs> As John said, there's going to be, you know, actual arts admin folks that have been doing mm -hmm. this for years that are going to help. But he's the bureau manager. Um, I don't know that Dan Ryan has the reputation of being like the big arts and culture supporter that that bureau would require. But I don't know him. I only mm -hmm. know what he has let us know. So I, I guess this opinion comes honest. Um yeah, that's my concern. As an artist living and working in this city who applied for a grant and got denied, I would be a little nervous about that moving into the hands wow, of the city. Wow, even then. So here's the thing that Rack has done that I feel the city uh, hasn't done because they haven't been around yet for, since 1995. Rack actually has relationships with every arts organization and artists know how to maneuver Rack. Yeah. Like how to get money from RAC. My concern is, yeah, that the city might not know how to do that effectively in like less than a year. You know, yeah. and to yeah. create, it's a bottleneck because there's, it's going to be a ton of funds. But RAC has built this system that people like, and not only that, they're constantly looking for new artists and for new organizations to fund because they're mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just that's what I feel we would lose is that connection to the community. I'm sure a lot of other people who maybe were, you know, have been shafted by Iraq or didn't really enjoy working with them might be like, good, you know, but <laughs> will <laughs> could the city do as good of a job in as short of a time? Will we have a, a misfire of like because I don't know if you guys know this, but Portland has 
a nationally recognized public art program. I was mm-hmm. just going to say. Because yep. of RAC. Mm-hmm. Other other cities look at us and go, what are they doing? That like, look at these murals. What are they doing? Yep. They're, everything's funded. Oh, there's free. There's free comedy in the park. There's everything's free. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Rack. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's well, money, of course, that's coming from the city and stuff. But mm-hmm. sorry. So that's my piece. Go on, John. Yeah. No, and I'm not disputing any of that. I think that like I t- I totally agree that those are real questions, and and like I'll add actually another uncertainty on top of it. Um, of what this means regionally, you know, because RAC is the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Um, And I think I am as guilty as any of us of like having a Portland-centric mindset, but like RAC spends money outside of the city. So, you know, if the city moves this programming inside, I think Portland will probably be okay. The question is what's going to happen to the programs in Beaverton and Hillsborough mm, and, and like all these and Gresham and like, you know, some of these communities are dependent on RAC funding. And like, you know, like you said, the city of Portland was funding a lot of it. It was funding the vast majority of over it. Over 80%. <laughs> over 80%, wow. you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, for the specific arts organizations that serve those communities, um, I do think that there is, like, a real question of how they're going to be taken care of. And that that gives me some some pause. Well, I know I'm always just like, where's the hope? Um, but <laughs> I don't have any for this article. So let me just t- let me t- give you the press statement, just a little snippet of what Rack released. Uh, first off. Big letters like "Rack remains committed to serving our arts and culture community," um, and they wrote, and this made, you know made me a little sad. But like, we are we were not surprised yet disappointed that this news was shared without discussion, given our twenty eight year long partnership with the city of Portland. Since Friday, there have been a few, have been a number of articles that point to a city and Rack collaboration. However, Rack is not aware of any type of plan. Mm-hmm. So what they're asking the community is to share their Rack story. Like, this is what RAC is contributing to the community. So if anyone out there wants to do that, we'll just put a link in the show notes. Um, I do hope that no matter how things shake out, that, you know, our art community isn't the basically the divorced kid trying to figure out where they're going to spend <laughs> their Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Just like, uh, is, it, is it mom? Is it my dad? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's vivid. Where do I go with... Where do I go with my album? <laughs> John looks like he wants to fire me. <laughs> I was actually digging the joke. I just couldn't. I'm just like too slow to like come up with something funny to say. <laughs> oh, man. Well, those were the headlines of this week. Uh, you guys, thank you so much for hanging with me at a very early hour and, and uh, putting up with me. I really appreciate oh. y'all. Well, this has been oh fun. my gosh, same. Mm-hmm. And thank you for allowing me to tell you my bre- weird breastfeeding story at a bar. <laughs> um, almost start crying while I was reading my headline story, and then again we're hearing about wreck. Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's all for today here on City Cats Portland. Thank you so much for listening. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back Monday with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>